In this episode of Overcoming the Odds podcast, I talked to my longtime friend, May. She and I talk about a lot of serious business on this one. I'll let her story speak for itself. When, when I was around seven or eight, I got into a car accident and that impact sent me flying through the windshield. So I was dead, yes. And they re revived me on the way to the hospital via helicopter. Uh, probably my first heartbreak waking up and having my parents not be there. I just, I felt so abandoned. That was more traumatic to me than being sexually abused by the guy that called Collect. All that and more coming up after the break. This podcast is brought to you by Gaming VPN. If you don't have a VPN, you should definitely download Gaming VPN for, well, gaming and streaming. Stay secure online all the time. It's only available on iOS. Go to gamingvpn.tech, T-E-C-K. I'm Josh Coyne, and this is Overcoming the Odds Podcast, Episode 2. Welcome to the show, May. Um, thanks for coming to talk to me about all these life experiences you've had and how how you became you the 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 may that i know today who was a strong strong woman so i want to hear all about that that's so kind thank you you were just getting that way you know when we lived together and you know you're a badass chick that's all there is to it so <laughs> so let's talk real quickly here about like your background, you know, moving to this country and what that was like for you, you know, where you came from and what you had to go through in order to, to, to do that as a child. Sure. Sure. So like my, my tale isn't one of heroism. I, I certainly didn't come here through, you know, sneaking on a boat at night and then having, so other people have much better stories about immigration. Mine was unique in the sense that my parents didn't tell us or didn't tell me that we were moving. They merely just told me to pack up my stuff and I didn't have to go to school for a while. So when I ended up in the United States, uh, we we went to the Pacific Northwest and never having seen a pine cone in my, in my entire life, I thought that it was dog poop, which I thought that just the streets were littered in dog shit and it was a disgusting place that they took me to. It, it took me a week before they finally convinced me that I could step outside and that everything would be okay. And how old were you at this point? Uh, five, five yeah. or so. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's wild imagination that kids would have to think like, I mean, you've never seen it before, right? It's the first thing that came to your mind, right? Like you, you know, what dog poop looks like, and it's a brown, weird looking log that's all over the streets. So like. Exactly. But if I would have said that I was like 28, you would kind of think that I have different kind of cognitive uh, disabilities. Right. Like, why don't you just go check it out? <laughs> right. Yeah. Leave Talk your house. With a stick. Go see. Exactly. All right. So you came here five years old and your first impression was, OMG, there's shit everywhere. <laughs> Where are my parents taking me and what am I doing here? So we lived with uh, my uncle Paul. We started out with the intent of living out the American dream. Uh, my parents got jobs working for my uncle at his restaurant at the time. And my parents just 
scrimped and saved until they had enough money for a down payment for a house. And then coincidentally, that was across the street from Uncle Paul's. So we lived in a two bed, one bath from the time I was seven until I was off to college, really. And how many people in that space? Uh, my brother and I shared a bunk bed until I was 13. Okay. All right. So, so you, you had one room with your brother and then mm-hmm. your parents had their own room. Yep. And then your brother is a handful of years older than you. He's 11 years older. So yeah. for me, it was like, oh, this is kind of traumatizing. But for him, it must have been like severely inconvenient. I specifically remember this one time we had this really mild earthquake and being around 12 or so, I knew about sex and I thought that my brother was masturbating because he was on the bottom bunk and I was on the top bunk. And I was just horrified. I just was like, remember laying there as still as I could, just shaking and wondering when it was going to stop. Um, later to find out that it wasn't, my brother wasn't a pervert and uh, it was just an earthquake. Yeah. Common, common mistake. Masturbation, earthquake. <laughs> I mean, it could Dog shit. I, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. really one, two for two now. Yeah. It could happen to anybody. <laughs> um, but I mean, I could imagine like being at his age, right? like you said, you lived in that room with him until you were 13, mm-hmm. right? You shared that room. Yeah. And at that point he's 24 years old. Yeah. Like that would suck. For him, most definitely. Yeah. So your your parents work in the restaurant and you're, I guess, supervised, unsupervised, and mostly unsupervised. Yeah. Yeah. Unsupervised. Yeah. And then working in the restaurant too, right? Like you told me before you you had worked there throughout. That was my form of having a babysitter, was being at a restaurant, sitting at a host stand and handing out menus. So it was, it was like a village taking care of me. Uh, everyone kind of like just made sure I didn't touch hot things, didn't follow strangers, that kind of stuff. So it was relatively safe, but most of the time, or uh, some of the times I would be unsupervised at home, just at a very early, early age. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause they're working and you're coming home from school or whatever. And there's nobody there. Your brother's not there. He's not going to hang out, you know, and wait for you. Right. Right. And he's doing, you know, his own thing. But I remember like our school wasn't that far. It was maybe like two, three miles. It was, it was short enough for me to be able to bike to school. And I did so when I was a little bit older, but, uh, you know, just to, to backtrack a little bit when, when I was around seven or eight, after we'd initially moved in, I, uh, got into a car accident, suffered a traumatic brain injury, and then was left unsupervised at home because I just had this giant scar on my head and my head was half shaven. So they didn't want me sitting at a host stand. They just wanted me to be at home safe to recover. Mm -hmm. Uh, Little did they know that a pervert would come along and call our house collect. And I remember accepting the call because he had said that he was a doctor. Mm-hmm. I mean, winner, winner, chicken dinner there. Uh, this guy is just calling around randomly uh, looking for kids such as myself, home alone, that is vulnerable enough to believe 
the lies that he was telling. Well, also, I mean, you had a major injury, right? So like, why would you not believe the doctor's calling you? Right. Obviously, and doctors don't call collect, but still, you don't know that you're a child. Exactly. I was like eight or nine years old and I was the primary English speaker in the home. So I did most of my own translating and ex- explanations of what's going on. So like my brain was firing on all cylinders as, as much as it could. All right. So, so let's talk about this accident and then we'll come back to this call collect guy. Right. So, okay. so the, so you got in a car accident and busted your head open and yeah. needed a bunch of stitches, brain damage, essentially like how that, what was 52 it? staples holding my head together. Wow. So um, like there's like probably about an inch of hair missing mm-hmm. uh, from ear to ear. And there was like skull fragments just like near the frontal lobe. So I had trouble, I have cognitive issues uh, where if there are certain persons, places, people, events, et cetera, uh, that don't get brought up to me and it isn't front of mind always, uh, I'll just forget it entirely as if it never happened. So I've forgotten, you know, like places, like shows that I've gone to, uh, people that I've met that I just Mm -hmm. have like, that have shared history with that. I'm just like, I don't know who the fuck you are. (laughs) But does it, does it get worse as you've gotten older? Has it gotten better since you've gotten older? It's gotten better. I I think it was just because I was so young that my brain was just trying to collect all this information. Yeah. And now I'm not doing that anymore. Super lazy. Did it affect your senses in any way, like your sense of smell or any motor skills? It affected my speech. Did it? Okay. It gave me a speech impediment where I would repeat back everything I said. So it wasn't a stutter necessarily, but I would say something and then I would whisper it under my breath. Hmm. How long did that last? Until third grade. Okay. Yeah. I mean, just one day it went away. Uh, no, I had a speech pathologist working with me. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. Um, okay. So what, I mean, obviously you're not driving the car, right? Like you're a passenger. Yeah. It was the first day of summer vacation and I was taking a nap in the back of our uh, Chevrolet minivan and because car seats weren't a thing back then. Right. Um, Seatbelts barely were. Yeah. So I had my seatbelt on, it was just a lap belt and I was just laying on the bench seat in the back. My dad was going to make a left turn. He had the right of way and a drunk driver was trying to, you know, beat a red light. So he charged ahead. And because my father was making a turn, he T-boned us. And that impact sent me flying through the windshield. Yikes. And then your dad was okay. Yeah. My dad was fine. Yeah. Uh, My mother had a little like cut on her forehead and I was wedged between the windshield. Wow. That's messed up. Yeah. I was dead. So whatever. All right. So they bring you back to life. You get revived somehow and put your head back together. And obviously some severe trauma there with like brain injury plus PTSD from that overall. So I was dead. Yes. 
and they re- revived me on the way to the hospital uh, via helicopter. And then I was in a coma for several days. And when I woke up from my coma, um, it was Cookie Monster. It was it was a volunteer that would go around talking to children and that were in comas, trying to get them to wake up. And this guy, you know, like he fired some synapses in my brain and I just like opened my eyes a little bit, was scared shitless that it was Cookie Monster and some random dude. Um, In a room you don't know about at all. Oh, and I was strapped down to my bed because I was having bad reactions to the medications they were giving me Mm -hmm. and they were making me hallucinate. And I was unconsciously trying to pull out my own IVs. So I was strapped down, fully restricted, uh, having Cookie Monster babble at me and just really confused. Yeah, that's terrifying. That's, that's, that's scarier. That's the scarier part, waking up like that. And then like, I guess too, if you have brain damage, a lot of times people have seizures. People have seizures after, yeah. Some, some... Uh, luckily, no seizures, uh, but I very quickly uh, started developing, uh, de- I don't know if developing depression, but it definitely triggered that right then and there. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a, lot of, a lot of me instantly thought like I should have just died because it was a major inconvenience to my parents to like have to come see me. All right. Uh, My parents uh, decided that since I was in the hospital, that they would just like stay at home and and be there and not be at the hospital with me, even though I was a little kid. Yeah. Uh, Very, very Asian, very Chinese thing to do. Just let you be, be on your own until you can heal. And then that's just messed up though. I mean, like, I guess it's an Asian thing. I don't know. Well, it, quickly got my way uh, with having my one of my parents accompany me because I asked the nurse for a phone when I was fully awake. Um, and I realized my parents weren't there. And I was like, then I need the phone. I need to call my parents. And I told my mom I was overlooking. So growing up in Portland, the children's hospital is on the top of the tallest hill in, in town. So I was overlooking the city of Portland, which was a beautiful night, just like landscape. I remember holding the phone to my ear and my mom answering. And I said, I think I'm going to jump. Interesting. And she was like, what do you mean you're going to jump? And I was like, well, the window here opens and I don't know why I'm here more. So I don't know why you're not here. So I think I'm going to finish what was started essentially. And she said, you're talking crazy and, you know, don't do anything. Stay right there. Uh, Hand the phone over to the nurse or just, you know, just don't do anything. So knowing that my mom was on her way, I, I didn't, but I just remember just staring out into the cityscape, just emotionless. I mean, it probably could have been the medication as well, right? Like, I mean, yeah, you had some brain damage and then you were on this heavy medication because you had all these staples in your head and pain pills and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, you're also a child. So like you don't really understand how the world works or that healing happens and that 
accidents happen. And at that point, I mean, it kind of makes sense to be like terrified. And the only quickest way to, to not be terrified is to just escape that one way or the other. Yeah, it was um, probably my first heartbreak was was waking up and having my parents not be there. Yeah. Uh, I I just I felt so abandoned. Mm-hmm. And that was that I think that was more traumatic to me than being sexually abused by the guy that called collect. There's a lot to unpack here, but so let's say yeah. you you are home now healing on the couch, right? Mm-hmm. And yep. this make-believe doctor calls and says, Hey, whatever, and gets an right. eight-year-old child. Yep. So okay. little eight-year-old me starts having a conversation with him that uh, I didn't know was inappropriate at the time. Like he's asking me about my vagina and which has nothing to do with my accident. And, right. Exactly. Uh, so he got all that, you know, he got my personal information, where I went to school, what my schedule was, and then was asking me about my vagina. That conversation got really weird. And I think I told him I just had to go and I hung up. Mm-hmm. And he didn't call back until the next day. And I was like, I don't really know that I want to talk to you. Yeah. But then he convinced me that it was essential for my well-being, uh, f- for me to get better. And I wanted to get better. So I sure. continued talking to him. Eventually, he was like, I'm going to pick you up from school. And we're going to do some like, you know, in-person tests. And I should have known right then and there. Um well, first off, like, I don't even know why I didn't ever mention it to my parents that I was talking to my doctor, right. It just never came, like, it just wasn't a thing that I thought of to do. I was so just uh, disconnected from them already at eight. So let me back up to the timeline here. Yeah. So you leave the hospital. How long were you in the hospital? Do you have any idea? Uh, about six weeks. Okay. So summer vacation is well on its way at that point, right? Like if, if yeah. you, the accident was day one of summer vacation, six weeks later, you're at like the middle of the summer and then you have to recuperate some more at home. And yeah. then by now school started again and you're, you're back to school. Yeah. Okay. All right. So that would yeah. explain why he's going to pick you up from school. Cause now it's like October. Right. Okay. Thanks for keeping me honest. So going to school, like second grade, kids are making fun of me, whatever. Um, that's not what this is about. And this guy picks me up one day and I should have known right then and there, but I guess stranger danger wasn't something that kids learned back then either. Yeah. Uh, or your parents were just unaware to tell you about it. Really? The guy had a van. I mean, that's a red flag right there. <laughs> and I got in and he drove me not to an office building anywhere but to a random park and just parked in the parking lot. And I was like, what are we doing? And he said that, you know, we're going to start doing some just tests to to make sure that I'm healthy and okay. Uh, So he was like, get in the back. And I didn't want to. Uh, And eventually I, I did. And he, it's still hard to talk about. Um, yeah, absolutely. Take your time. He just touched me in, in ways that I, an eight-year-old shouldn't be touched. Uh, he didn't, I don't want to minimize it by saying 
it wasn't rape because he didn't penetrate me with his penis, but Mm -hmm. you know, he was essentially going to third base on a little kid. On a child. Yeah. Yeah. And that felt weird physically, emotionally, mentally, Mm -hmm. but in the vein of wanting to get better, I succumbed and just was just trying to be brave Yeah, and just being brave. And then afterwards he would drive me home and then, you know, not too much later, like my parents would come home. I like make dinner and, you know, life would go on. It wasn't until one day that he called that my mom was home because she was, you know, not feeling well or something. And she noticed that I was taking my phone to my bedroom and she was like, what are you doing? And I was like, I'm talking to my doctor. Like you guys sh- should know more about my schedule. And like, I was so indignant that they didn't know about my doctor that I've been seeing for like a month. Uh, and she was like, what doctor? I handle all of your appointments as, you know, and I said, right. well, this doctor, I don't even remember his name uh, or that he told me. It's like, this doctor tells me that, you know, we do little tests at the park and my mom's just face drops. She grabs the phone, hangs it up. Mm-hmm. And she goes like, that's not a doctor. What are you talking about? Tell me everything. So I did mm-hmm. explained everything to her. And what's ridiculous was as I was telling her, the phone kept on ringing. He kept on calling. He kept calling him back. Kept on calling back to try and get a hold of me, and he was sounding increasingly desperate mm-hmm. and saying things like "I love you," and that was my first exposure to anyone telling me that they loved me romantically. It was just odd. Well, especially as a child, you still have no idea what that means. Yeah, yeah. and there was a period where a an operator had to kind of step in because it was a collect call. Mm-hmm. And I said, I don't know this guy. I don't want to know this guy. Please just have him leave me alone. Please just block this number. And just, I remember crying and like, I wouldn't answer the phone for the longest time. That was just like phone rings. I kind of twitch a little bit and I would not answer it. So how long did this go on? The abuse or? Yeah. No, the abuse. Uh, the abuse went on for, I want to say, no longer than five weeks. It was it was a short stint before my mom fell ill, luckily. Right. Okay. Okay. So then she, so so this guy would just show up like, all right, I'll see you, see you tomorrow. And then he would pick you up again from school and then same thing it the was, next day? It was about two, three times a week. Okay. That, this would, that he would pick me up from school. And then your parents didn't catch on to like the collect call with the phone bill, like just random number? collect call they, again they didn't speak or yeah all right, right english sure and you know the phone calls weren't long I, it wasn't like a sex line right uh right. so they just wasn't figured that away. it was a line item yeah yeah and it wasn't like a collect call from like you know across the country it's a long distance right he was local right did they catch this dude oh they they found him and we had the option to press charges and i remember my mom holding me by the shoulders, staring me in the face and going, we're not going to press charges. 
because that's going to be embarrassing to the family that you were so dumb. Mm. How could you be so stupid to believe this person? Interesting. And that to me was more traumatic and than anything else. Absolutely. I mean, there's no reason to blame a child for this ever. That was, that was her first reaction. And I never, I haven't since heard anything otherwise to the contrary. Right. I mean, he probably found some other kid, you know, and then hopefully got caught. I, but I mean, I ridiculous. hope and pray. I don't think about it much because yeah. it's not a pleasant thought. Sure. But if there's justice in the world, fuck yes, that guy yeah. would have gotten caught. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or worse from that for that guy. So, right. Um, oh man, that's 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 really messed up, man. But um, you know, thank you for sharing that with me. And yeah. Um, so then you you said your mom got sick too. Oh, she was just like she had a cold. Oh, okay, nothing. So, yeah, it, it was nothing major. Got it. Um, yeah, the only like major illness that my family has had was my father having stage four cancer in his nasal cavities. Hmm. Never heard of that. He had a tumor the size of a golf ball behind his nose. Wow. Which is the reason why he couldn't hear very well, nor could he smell anything. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Yeah. uh, I was, by then I was like a junior in high school, no sophomore in high school already. And the option was either I go to radiation and chemotherapy with my father every day, or I get to continue my education. Why would you have to go with him? Because he doesn't speak English. At this point, still at that point, it's been like 15 years. So I, mean, I guess yeah, 10 years. I, I guess that that is something that I should uh, kind of explain is I was brought up in a culturally Chinese home being raised in America and being influenced by Americans. Mm-hmm. I was, I was, and am still the black sheep of the family because I'm just not Chinese enough. Right. Right. And Too Americanized. Yeah. So in a, in a lot of ways that created a lot of friction and animosity and resentment at home. So I, when teenage years came, I was just the angstiest of the angst. When the option came to go with my father or go to school, I wanted to just have a normal life. I wanted to just like go to school and we found him an interpreter. The interpreter was Chinese and, you know, we trusted him with my dad's life. Literally, he took that trust and stole his identity to rack up a quarter million in debt. Oh my God. So, okay. So, I come speechless. Like, I don't know. I, <laughs> yeah. I can't make this stuff up. No. It, I, I really can't. Uh, so, this guy would so, go to the appointments with him, take care of business, yeah. whatever, give him, give his social security card or ID or whatever to like the doctors and mm-hmm. payment. And then just put it in his pocket and record it for later. And then, you know, all of a sudden got credit cards and like bank loans or whatever in your dad's name. He didn't show up one day and we were like, well, we need to find a different interpreter, obviously. And we hadn't started receiving the bills yet. But then like about a week later, the bills started coming in 
and my mom was first outraged because she thought it was my dad just acting out because he was having to go through such trauma himself. And he was like, it wasn't me. I'm, why would I be in California buying like stereo systems or televisions? Like a, right. I'm here doing chemo every day. What am I? Well, this isn't me. Yeah. How is so, it possible like, to even do be in two places at once? She should know that. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. so then I'm having to deal with, trying to solve this because my brother's long gone. He's in Denver living his life and I'm kind of head of the household. And I was like, I need help. Like I called my brother. He, he and I weren't close. So I called him for the first time in like probably months. And I said, I need you to help me either with dad and figuring out whether or not he's going to make it and, or we, whether or not we need to start planning for the case in case he doesn't make it. Or you can handle these fraudulent credit cards that have been opened in his name. You pick. I, I just can't do both. Right. right. Not possible. Yeah. Uh, and he decided to help my father because he was better with the Chinese part. So I spent a lot of time talking to credit card companies, explaining the same story over and over again about you know, my parents don't speak English. We had a tr translator, da, da, da. And then it became a whole deal. Hmm. They caught him and also didn't press charges then. They're just like, they're not people to press charges. Did, I mean, did they get the his record, your dad's record expunged and like the finance yes. situation? Yes, we got, we got all that taken care of. Okay. Yeah. So uh, like credit score didn't turn to zero and like have to go bankruptcy court and all that stuff? No, no. I challenged all of those. Good. That's awesome. Yeah. And, you know, they wanted a little lawyer. So for the first time, I was like luring up a little bit and yeah. showing my full potential. Right. That's awesome. So it really pissed them off when I went to art school. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet it did. Um, so so then, all right, so dad's not dying of cancer and the chemo worked and everything was good. Yeah. All right, cool. That's that's a lot of stuff going on right there before you're even like 20 years old, right? You've got... right. You've got a major car accident with some brain damage. You've got, uh, you know, creepy guy in a van, which nobody should ever experience that. Right. Um, and then, you know, dealing with dads, you got cancer and then his ID gets stolen. I mean, what's, what's next? Is there, is there more like what's left in you at this point? Oh, uh, I mean, that's just, that's just some of it. We that's haven't even beginning. Yeah. I mean, my dad was a compulsive drinker and, gambler and all that. So that's why the debt was making sense to my mom. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but anyways, uh, at age 18, I met whom I thought was the love of my life. And naturally he was a career criminal. So we had all sorts of fun. Uh, we had heists, we had shenanigans, uh, misadventures and he even followed me to Chicago when I went to college. Uh, How old is this eventually, guy? This guy's like, he was like 24. All right. So not that big of a difference. A couple years over. Yeah. 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 Uh, but then he was caught uh, by one of our maintenance people in the apartment building that we shared, uh, trying to grab keys to other units uh, in the, in the office. That's a big no, no. 
That's a huge no-no, especially when you're not supposed to be in Chicago because you're on parole because you're a registered sex offender. Mm. Which did you know about that? Yeah, very. I I did know. I did know about that. Uh, He had a incident where he had sex with someone that was 17 when he was 18. They claimed rape because they didn't want their boyfriend finding out he got screwed. That wasn't fair. Like, yeah, no. to me, that that's not actual statutory or nor should you be a sex offender for that. In my controversial opinion, that's he got screwed. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it. Uh, that, that story. Sure. Yeah. But. So they took him all the way to Cook County, dude. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Uh, How long was he there And for? it made me it made me reassess my life because mm-hmm. I broke up with him through three inches of glass. I was like, yeah, I can't do this anymore. I'm too old for this, Jonathan. Or like, just I'm like, too... just worn out, right? Like at that point. Yeah. Like, I, I told him I was, I was like 20, about to be 21. I, so I was like, you know, I'm about to be an adult and I just, I'm too tired for this, these shenanigans and these like, children's games so i've contacted your mom she knows where you are good luck with life ciao yeah see you later bro yeah and that's where it ended mostly yeah good yeah so that's that's what led me to chicago was was art school and what kept me there was my parents pulled my funding Hmm. uh without telling me yeah uh, I went to go register for spring semester and they said there was a balance and I thought it was just library books. And it turned out to be $11,000, which was the sum that came to for a semester after my grants and scholarships and financial aid. So I called my mom. What year of college again. was this? This was my uh, sophomore year. Okay. Yeah, spring semester of sophomore year. Everything happens during my sophomore year of things. So really t- tentative in year two of anything. Um, and I was like, hey, mom, uh, did you forget a bill for school? And then she was like, hang on, you, you have to talk to your brother. Because by then my brother was back home again. Another long story. Yeah. Uh, but he was like, hey, sis. Uh, so we've been meaning to tell you. And I was like, just meaning to tell me what? He was like, mom has thought it over and she believes that you have proven yourself that you can be independent. And now that she knows that, it's time for you to come home. But that doesn't make any sense. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, it makes your story, I believe you. It just, her logic doesn't make sense. Obviously, Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so I had the same reaction. I was right. like, you know, WTF? Like, what? What? You're there for a reason. It's to finish school, not to just piss away, you know, thirty grand a year of their money to quit because it's now time to come home. Right. What was the plan after that? What did she expect you to do when you got home? Like, run the restaurant? Like, go to community college or somewhere local, like state school. Okay. You know, there's universities in, in Oregon. So she just wanted me closer to home. 
And that's when I dug my heels. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. I said, that is the most ridiculous thing I have ever heard. So I'm going to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And that's when I got a job at Diesel. Mm -hmm. That's when I was like, I need to work. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So that, that brings us to, you know, how and when we met. Yeah. Uh, and then you just paid for school yourself at that point. Uh, struggle to. Right. You know how hard it is to make $11,000 working part-time retail off Michigan yeah. Avenue? Yeah. And I mean, in a large city. Yeah. It's not really possible. And then actually live off of that money too. Plus my dumbass was living in the Gold Coast in a one-bedroom apartment. Right. Expensive place. Yeah, well, it was nice, nice apartment. <laughs> I yeah. had a three block radius in my in my day. Like, I would go to walk to work and then walk back to Elm Street. And then, like, that was that. Mm-hmm. Uh, only needed to ride the train when I was in school, and I was only in school part time because I couldn't afford tuition. Right, it makes sense. So when you didn't go back to Portland, your parents were just like, "All right, well, see you when you're whenever you come back." But that was pretty much it. Yeah. Uh, it's not as though we were ever really close to begin mm-hmm. with yeah. because of the cultural divide, but this just really solidified how different I was. Mm-hmm. And we didn't talk for several months. And I don't believe I went back to visit for seven years. Wow. That's a, that's a good hike. That's a good haul of time. Yeah. To just not see your parents at that age. Absolutely. Right. Absolutely. At this point, are you guys on better terms? We are now. Thanks Mm -hmm. for asking. Uh, Actually just there. uh, Actually, they just moved back from Hong Kong where they went to go retire. Uh, They moved back exactly a month ago. Back to Hong Kong. To Portland. Back to Portland from Hong Kong. Yes. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Right. And I'd gone back to visit for two weeks, longest two weeks of my life. Like, <laughs> dude, imagine being close to 40 and living under the same roof as your parents and brother with his wife. Oh, and newborn child. Literally. She, yeah, she was born the day after I got there. Oh. Lucky me. Yeah. Well, it's good timing. Longest two weeks of my life, but we're on much better terms. Good, good. Yeah, yeah, time tends to do that, you know, to families. And ideally, families get better after some separation and then some growth. There's been a lot of therapy yeah. and, and discussion about this. And mm-hmm. what I've come to realize through through a lot of really, you know, amazing doctors is that it doesn't have to be so black and white. Mm-hmm. when it comes to relationships. And ironically, my parents are unable to appreciate the person that I've become because of how they raised me. Had I not gone through all those trials and tribulations as a child growing up, mm-hmm. I wouldn't have the goal to move to Chicago or tell them to go fly a kite when they pulled my tuition. Yeah. And I certainly just wouldn't have been the, you know, like badass, as you say, yeah. um, if it weren't for 
them kind of pushing me out of the nest. Sure. Sure. So yeah, I mean, you wouldn't have had the balls to do those things, right? Like you wouldn't have had the, the angst either. Like you would have just gone on your way and like probably did whatever they wanted to do and like be a doctor or something, you know, I don't know. Oh, come on. My dad's a tailor. My dad's a tailor and my mom and works at a Chinese restaurant. Like there you go. we're as stereotypical as it comes. And I know from my Asian friends that live near here of like how their parents treat them and what they expect from them. And it's, it's, it's very stereotypical Asian stuff, you know, like doctors. And um, that's really it. <laughs> you, to be, you just have to be better, be better, you know, and respect the elders as much as possible. And what they say is the final straw. End of story. Right. No matter if you're 40 years old, because mom mm-hmm. says it's, it's, it's the way it is. Yeah. So it's a rough life to live through under it, rule, it, rules, right? Those rules are tough. Right. It. For those two weeks, it didn't feel as though I was in any part of America. They had constant eye on me. They always knew where I was. And anytime I left the house, they would come with. <laughs> so it was as though I was being held hostage. And we only went to, ate, and shopped, and consumed things that were Chinese. Interesting. I'd never wanted a hamburger with a side of fries so badly in my life. <laughs> yeah. You had enough of uh traditional cuisine. Yeah. Over it. I mean, it's, it's great at first. Like, yeah, you know, sure. these are things I used to eat. Yay. Mm-hmm. But then it was like, I haven't spoken English for more than like a few minutes to anyone. So you had to speak Chinese the whole time you were there. Right, because they don't speak other languages. Amazing. Huh. It's so. Yeah. So, how was your Chinese since you haven't used it in really years? Still illiterate. Uh, sorry to say, can't learn to write those characters. Mm-hmm. But my Chinese improved. I, I still have an American accent mm-hmm. when I speak Chinese. But to get a concept of of how complicated Cantonese is. We were watching a show, a game show about people doing voiceovers on old movies and experts were critiquing native Cantonese speakers on their diction, eloquation, and basically just how to speak the only language they know how to speak. So what's the game show? Like, what's the game? I'm missing the the fun part of this. Uh, Because that the test is that like the... The game is speak better Chinese. Chinese game shows are not fun. <laughs> Noted. <laughs> it's not like uh, Japanese game shows with like slippery stairs and like uh, yeah. crazy, crazy antics. Like, is this chocolate? I've seen that show. Right. <laughs> it's just like literally sculptures that look real and then people have to eat it. And it's a chocolate or is it actually a sculpture? The, the Chinese are very serious people. And Americans are very silly. Yeah, so are the Japanese in a way. They they know how to have fun. But having fun in as as someone from Hong Kong is succeeding. When you win, that's fun. When you're not winning, then you're wasting time. It's very like militant. Oh, absolutely. That's why communism will never work. Right. (laughs) Yes. yes. 
Um, all right. I don't want to digress down this hole too much because it could go on forever, but yeah. um, I want to talk to you briefly also about like how you were able to overcome these challenges as a child, right? Like you grew up with this very unique set of circumstances. You know, you were able to graduate college, get a job, live on your own, you know, get married, et cetera, et cetera. And like have a pretty quote unquote normal life at this point. how do you overcome all that, that those obstacles of like the depression, the sexual abuse, you know, like all these things, mental illness and all this stuff you have to deal with. Like, what was it? Was it just therapy? Was it just time? Was it a combination? It was a long winding road to, to say, to summarize it shortly. It, I, after I stopped doing retail, I started working in nightclubs and making more money than I'd ever imagined I would ever make in cash. Mm-hmm. You know, I worked three nights a week uh, at most and made six figures. Yeah. So I was living the party lifestyle. I was for the longest time, the coolest kid in the VIP room. That was my, that was my thing. Uh, so not so normal. Uh, lots of drinking, lots of shenanigans and antics there. Uh, and developed, you know, uh, unhealthy habits, very toxic habits that would exasperate my mental illnesses. Uh, there was one point where I became agoraphobic and just wouldn't leave the house because I didn't want to see people. I didn't want the pressure of interacting with others. And also I was just, I wasn't medicated, but I was self-medicating with alcohol and sometimes a little bit of the booger sugar. So that was everything opposite of what you should do when you have trauma. It wasn't until I was, well, I was 27 when I realized I can't be the coolest girl in the room for much longer. Like, this isn't going to last. This isn't sure, sustainable. not sustainable. Right, exactly. It's fun. It's fun while it lasts, but at some point Hell you have to realize, yeah. yeah, you have to realize there's a, you have to make a life change. Right. So that's when I started seeking out real jobs. So I ended up in hospitality management and ended up managing restaurants which was then when I first received benefits, mm-hmm. healthcare benefits. So I took myself to a doctor and said, you know, I don't want to leave my house. I have to force myself to, I, my palms are constantly sweaty and sometimes I can't breathe. Sounds like panic attacks too. My just general practitioner was so patient and instantly prescribed me some medications to take the edge off then recommended a list of therapists that I could see and started Mm -hmm. talking to. So that's really when things started getting better. Mm -hmm. And then things got to where they are now when I made the decision to leave Chicago, even though I love that city. What had happened is I developed a reputation for myself. I was the fun party girl that had the connections and was managing cool places to hang out that could comp stuff. And my employers uh, uh, encouraged that reputation. Sure, they wanted more to money. have 
Yeah. So because I had pigeonholed myself, I decided that I needed to leave. I needed a fresh start. Just hit that reset button Mm -hmm. or run away, as some would say. Um, But my best friend since high school was in Austin at the time, had a two bedroom apartment living alone. And she said, you sound miserable. Come down here. We'll figure it out. And that's what I did. I yeah. was gone. I was gone a month later. So you went to, you just went to Austin, kind of like hashed some things out back to Chicago, packed up your, your stuff and paced out. I remember packing two large check bags, a large carry on, and I shipped myself one box, one medium sized box. It's the essentials, what you need. Exactly. Else you can get later. Right. I had learned already that material items mm-hmm. can be easily acquired. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that wasn't an issue. I took six weeks off to really like figure out what my next step was and found myself fortunately in tech. Coincidentally, there is a job that's very parallel to hospitality management, which is customer success management. So now I'm basically a project manager for enterprises that need to succeed with with a certain software. Mm -hmm. And my job is to see to it that they do succeed. Yeah. I mean, it does have very similar parallel to, you know, promoter and club manager. We call it advocacy. Advocacy. (laughs) Exactly. You make people feel good about what you're doing. That's essentially what it is, right? Like you make them feel good about your product and their user experience and which is very similar to uh you know a nightclub right like you want to make those people feel good about being there they have to be treated well they want to spend the money they get to yeah. you know, talk to you first exactly so my my training has taken me to this this point this juncture life training life training yeah, yeah exactly. experience i was seeing a therapist once a week mm-hmm. for the first 4 years that I was down here. Now it's reduced to a group therapy session once a week. Mm-hmm. And I see a therapist one-on-one just, well, every two weeks, just to kind of talk about life. I am a big advocate of therapy. I think everyone needs it. It just makes you a better version of yourself to have a sounding board that is unbiased and you can just vent. I agree. And then you're not venting at your friends. You're not lashing out at your partner. You're because you already got all that out. And then you mm-hmm. can come to them with something that's well thought out and logical. And if it's not logical, explain why you still feel that way that you feel. Yeah. Work it out. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of therapy now. I was not for years. Mm-hmm. And just needed to find the right person, you know, and I found that person yeah. and she's helped me immensely. I mean, probably mm-hmm. saved my marriage, possibly saved my life. I would, yeah. I would say that. So I'm glad to hear was, that. yeah, thank you. It was, it was brutal there for a little while, but, um, it helped. She definitely helped me. So, so yeah, I mean, what's, what's in store for the future? Just, uh, stay Austin, do the tech thing. Mm, be continue to be a badass rock and roll 
yes, uh, you know, I love tech and I love talking to people about tech. It feels like a secret club, you know, that you have to be in on married now. So there's someone else to think about, uh, own a home. So I have roots here. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. And I have a stepson. So soup's weird. Yeah. (laughs) Soup's weird. Yeah. Uh, that that someone trusts me to take care of their child, like 50% of the time. How old is this kid? 19 months. Oh yeah. See young, young child. Yeah. I mean, you'll be fine. Oh, trust me. When, yeah. when it's time to give him back, it, I'm ready. Yeah, I don't doubt that. So, no, I, I want to just, you know, end on this little note too. Just like, I really appreciate you opening up, you know, mm-hmm. and sharing this very unique story to to me specifically, but secondarily to whoever else listens to this, you know. Um, yeah. It's good to know that, like, you have been able to find help to get you through those times and not necessarily at the time of occurrence, but later in life, which is obviously now to help you cope with the things that have happened to you and to be able to talk about it, you know, and accept it and realize it's not your fault, right? Like none of this stuff Mm -hmm. is your fault. So, um, yeah, absolutely. So it's good to hear that with such trauma, people can still heal, right? Like that's, that's pretty important. The, medical term for what I have is complex developmental trauma along with post-traumatic stress syndrome Mm -hmm. and then also chronic depression. So that's a, that's a trifecta of you shouldn't succeed in life. Uh, You did and do and are right. If there's nothing else that people can take away from listening to this and, you know, very, honored if people have been listening uh, to my story, it is to know that this too shall pass. And, and to keep that into perspective is so, so important because finding a doctor isn't easy, mm-hmm. especially during a pandemic like this, everyone's mm-hmm. going through therapy. Yeah, so sure it's going to be distressing and daunting at times, but you have to keep at it. If as long as you want to like be a better you, yeah, which I hope everyone does, you have to keep at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, words words to live by. That's for sure. You know, this too shall pass. Absolutely, and things will get better. So, mm-hmm. on that note, May, I want to say thank you for coming out. That's right, coming out to this uh, Zoom meeting in your own house, <laughs> and. Um, just, you know, appreciate your time, obviously. And I appreciate our friendship even more. Absolutely. Likewise. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, uh, really respect you. Always enjoyed being your friend. Yeah. And uh, thank you for having me on the show. All right. Well, there's that. I mean, a uh, heck of an episode. Thanks to my friend May for really just laying on the line. You know, the the amount of stuff that she had to go through at a very early age is really terrible. First of all, being transported here from another country. Secondarily, a uh, crippling car accident. I mean, brain damage and memory loss and many, many, many staples in her head, like from ear to ear. Can you imagine that? It's going to be a hell of a scar under that hair. And then 
And once things start going better, some creeper sexually abuses her, you know, like as a child, like a child predator, it's messed up. A lot of stuff to overcome at a very early age. Uh, I just want to say thanks again to May for coming out, talking to me, really just letting loose and not holding back her story, you know, um, pretty powerful, pretty inspirational. You know, she's a, she's a strong woman. So thank you, May. Next week on the podcast, my friend Michelle uh, talks about growing up with a father who was schizophrenic. Tune in next, next time. This podcast was brought to you by Gaming VPN. If you don't have a VPN, you should definitely download Gaming VPN for, well, gaming and streaming. Stay secure online all the time. It's only available on iOS. Go to gamingvpn.tech, T-E-C-K. This has been a Robot Mouse production. If you like what you heard, please give me a five-star rating and tell your friends about the show. Hey, thanks for listening. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, hit me up. You can always get me on my website, overcomingtheodds.co. Hit the contact link, send me an email. All right, have a great day. Thanks again.